Well, it's wonderful to baptise Lily this morning. Um, I think she's got that sparklers, is that right? And, um, and to, to, to pray for her. And, um, and it's wonderful with Pam praying that blessing on her earlier on from, from Numbers, a wonderful blessing. And we want, I hope you want Lily to grow up and have a flourishing life. Is that what you want? Yes, good. My dad says yes, good. Um, and, and one of the questions we're looking at is, how do we have a flourishing life? And the Sermon on the Mount um, that we're looking at, um, Matthew chapter 5 to 7, is Jesus teaching about how to have a flourishing life. And he, he begins by saying, blessed are, blessed are, nine times he says, you're blessed, you're flourishing life. And the implication is that you need to listen to what he's saying and put these words into practice have a really flourishing life but Jesus says this he says blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and then in our reading this morning um, verse 20 says for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven in other words you certainly won't be one of my people you won't have the blessings that God wants to give to you and I wonder what you feel like when you hear that word righteousness it's not a very popular word these days, is it? Um, why do people reject this whole idea of righteousness and often reject Christianity because they don't want to take on this idea of following God's laws, doing God's will? That, that sounds like um, right, that's what righteousness is all about. Well, often people reject it because they don't want to be restricted by righteousness. They say righteous living will restrict me. It, it sounds like it's going to be boring. It sounds like it's going to stop me having fun. It sounds like even it's going to be oppressive. It's going to be bad for me. It's, it's, it's going to be the opposite of flourishing because I can't do this or that. I can't flourish in life. And often that's the way people see it these days. Following God's laws will be restricted. But secondly, when people think about righteousness, they often think about self-righteous people. People who judge you. Maybe your experience at church is coming along and um, hearing someone saying, you should do this, you should do that. And thinking, well, I don't do that, I feel a bit judged, I feel a bit condemned. And certainly it's easy to find people that um, may look down on you because they think, well, I'm, I'm doing what's right, and you lot are just rubbish. Um, and you can feel judged by that and condemned by that. That's why often people reject the idea of righteousness. But also, uh, and thirdly, righteous teaching, sometimes people say, is bad for my mental health. It's quite a thing these days, isn't it? What's good and what's bad for your mental health? We spotted that as a real trend at the moment. Um, and again, sometimes people think, well, if, if people are talking about what you should do in life and the way you should live your life, and a lot of people say, well, that's, that's, again, that's condemning me. It's sort of saying that um, I'm not good. I'm a failure. I've messed up. It's making me feel guilty, and that's making me feel bad, and, and, and so uh, it's making me feel depressed and down. And so again, people reject righteous teaching. They say it's bad for our mental health. So that's why many people today reject the whole idea of righteousness. Um, and yet Jesus here is saying very clearly that you need to listen to this idea of righteousness. It should be something that you're running after, to live a life that follows God's ways and God's laws. So how do we answer this question about why people reject righteousness? Well, the answer, as for all answers in Christianity, is Jesus. Okay? If anyone asks you a quick question at Sunday school, the answer is Jesus. You might find that. Anyway, so the answer is Jesus. But Jesus, you see, smashes these stereotypes. Jesus really deals with these issues. Uh, and firstly, let's start with the last one, the idea that um, 
following righteous ways is bad for your mental health. Um, well, Jesus comes along and, and he's saying, look, I'm, what I want to do for you is show you that you're not far from being condemned when you come into the kingdom of heaven, when you come to follow me, what's actually happening is you're finding forgiveness. The guilt that you have is being washed away. You have a sense of peace. You have a sense of reconciliation with God, of, of God's love for you. And as you read through Matthew's gospel, it stresses this idea. So right back in the story of Christmas, um, when the angel appears to Joseph, he says he's called him Jesus because Jesus means he'll save the people from their sins. Um, and right at the end of the gospel, when Jesus is about to die on the cross, he's sharing a special meal with his friends and to explain why he's about to die, he says, this is my blood of the covenants, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You see, when you really understand the heart of the Christian gospel, when you understand that um, you're loved by God so much that despite your sin, despite your messing up, God sent his son to die on the cross for you. But rather than feeling rejected, you feel loved. And it helps against any form of mental illness or mental health problems. Um, secondly, Jesus smashes the stereotypes because Jesus welcomes sinners. He welcomes the kind of people that would have been condemned by the self-righteous to come to him. Um, Matthew, who wrote the gospel, was started off as a tax collector. And the people of his day looked down on tax collectors, the, the, the righteous people. And when Jesus came and um, he called Matthew, he then had a party with Matthew and all Matthew's mates. And his mates were a bit dodgy. They were prostitutes and tax collectors, you know, people after money and, and selling themselves for money and so on. And the, the righteous people of Jesus' day came along and said, Jesus, how can you talk about righteousness and hang out with these sort of people? But Jesus says this. He says, thank you. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus stresses, stresses the need for righteousness more than anyone else. And yet he welcomes people, no matter how bad, how messed up they be. He welcomes them to be part of his kingdom. Um, and thirdly, Jesus smashes life, these stereotypes because Jesus is offering life to the full. He's offering abundant life. Jesus says, um, rather than having, following lots of rules and having lots of restrictions upon me, he says, I, come and follow me because my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Jesus proves that he can offer life in a way that no one else can. When they crucified him, three days later, he rose from the dead. That's what shows that this Jesus is the person you really need to listen to. That shows that Jesus can offer what no one else can offer. He can give you hope beyond. It means you don't have to be worried about coronavirus because even if you die, you'll have a better life beyond. No one else can offer you that. Only Jesus. He's offering abundant life. Life that's eternal. Life that's full today as well. Jesus' life is he smashes the stereotypes that, that people look at when they reject this idea of righteous living. And yet Jesus is very clear, isn't he, here in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount. He's calling us to live righteous lives. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
And for I tell you, in verse 20, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what does he mean here by um, surpassing the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? What kind of righteousness is Jesus really talking about? You see, um, if you lived in those days, um, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the people that would go around and, and tell you that you should live a righteous life, you should follow all the rules. Uh, they carefully studied the Old Testament and, and tried to work out exactly how you should live. So when it says don't work on, a, on the Sabbath day, they told you exactly what you could and what you couldn't do on the Sabbath day. And they had, about, they had hundreds of different rules to explain all that. Uh, they were really enthusiastic to live according to all these different rules and regulations. If people ask, who do you think is living a righteous life? They'd say, well, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the um, teachers of the law, they're the ones really going for it. They're the ones really that are trying to live a good life. But Jesus says that they've got it totally wrong. Jesus says their form of righteousness is not enough. You need a different kind of righteousness, a greater kind of righteousness. So let's look at the kind of righteousness that Jesus talks about. Firstly, Jesus says that this must be a biblical righteousness. He says that in the first, in verses 17 to 19. He says, do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. He's talking there about the Old Testament. I'm not coming along and saying you can ignore all that now. Rather, he's saying I've come to fulfill it. Jesus comes and he actually lives out the Old Testament in a way that no one else does. Jesus comes and he shows us what the Old Testament was really pointing to, really preparing us for. Jesus comes and he shows us how we should really understand the laws of the Old Testament in the past. And particularly in this passage, um, he helps us to see what it really means to follow those laws. So you might think about the Ten Commandments. And the Sixth Commandment is, um, you shall not murder. Now most people would agree with that, wouldn't they? Would you agree with that? Yeah, those who still listen, shouldn't murder people. Anyone disagree with that? No, <laughs> stand up now. Um, we all agree with that law. You shall not murder. And that was in the Old Testament. That was one of the laws that God gave. And yet Jesus takes it further. He says, you've heard that it was said, do not murder. But I tell you something else. You see, Jesus is, is taking the Old Testament law... But he's giving us a deeper understanding, a deeper interpretation of it, of what it's really all about. about. Um, he's sticking to the biblical law, but he's taking it further. It is a biblical righteousness. But it's still a greater righteousness. And it's three things to think about here very quickly. Firstly, it's a greater righteousness because it's about attitudes and not actions. So, so the action is do not murder someone. And you can think about not murdering someone and think, well, I haven't done that. But, but Jesus said, that's not the issue. Don't think just because you've never murdered anyone that you're in God's good books. Don't think just because you've never um, bashed anyone over the head that God thinks that's okay. What really matters, Jesus says, is what's in your hearts. It's your attitude, not your action, that matters. And the attitude that goes behind murder, what's that? Well, almost always it's anger, isn't it? It's when you get really angry with someone, you hurt them. And mostly when we get angry with people, we just say nasty things to them. And Jesus refers to that sort of thing. 
Rakow as a way of being nasty to someone, you fool, you idiot. I'm sure we've all said that to people. Jesus says it's your attitude that matters. God sees the heart. And yet in the blessings, he says, it's the pure in heart that will see God. Secondly, the greater righteousness is about affirmative goals, not avoidance of sin. So avoiding sin means avoiding murdering anyone. Most of us can manage that, I hope. <laughs> Some people are sure. But actually, what Jesus is saying here is, um, particularly in the second, in verses 23 to 26, is um, actually you need to be really positively going out to do the will of God, not just avoiding doing things that are wrong. So he says, look, he says to people living in Galilee that would occasionally, um, once or twice a year, travel all the way to Jerusalem, which is like, for the, in those days without trains or cars, was about a two or three day journey. You'd travel all the way to Jerusalem and there you'd offer your sacrifice and then you'd come home. And he, he says to them, if you go all the way to Jerusalem and you're offering your sacrifice and you remember that someone's got something against you, you remember there's a broken relationship back at home, then leave your sacrifice Go all the way back to Galilee, two or three days, sort out your relationship, and then come back to Jerusalem, and then make your sacrifice. Do uh, you see how, how strongly Jesus is saying how important it is to sort out broken relationships, to sort out problems in relationships, um, whether it's with friends, family, or, or even workmates? It, it's about an affirmative goal, an affirmative purpose, positively trying to sort life out. Not just trying to avoid sin, not just trying to avoid murder that person you fooled them out with. And thirdly, it's about ambition, not achievements. So when you think it's all about following rules and regulations, you might, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you think, I haven't murdered anyone, tick. I haven't committed adultery, tick. I haven't lied, tick. You think you're okay. And you think you're better than others, that's where self-righteousness comes in. But Jesus says life with God is not about passing the kind of driving test of life. None of us do that. When you realise that it's about attitudes and not actions, when you realise that um, actually all of us have been angry at some point, even if we haven't murdered anyone, we realise we're never going to pass that test. And Jesus says, I know you're not going to pass the test all the time. That's why in the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6, he tells us to pray daily forgive us our sins that's why he died on the cross that we can be forgiven it's not about achievements but it is about ambition jesus says blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness that's about ambition isn't it a real desire a real desperation to live the kind of life god calls us to and so we can come into the kingdom of heaven, no matter how bad a sinner we are or be. There's a hymn, Christian hymn that says, just as I am without one plea, Jesus I come to thee. We can come to God just as we are. But, Jesus says, your ambitions must change. That's what we talk about when we talk about repentance earlier on in the baptism service. That turning around. We come to Jesus just as we are, but we come to be changed. We come to seek a life that's no longer going away from God, but seeking the kind of righteousness, the radical righteousness of the heart 
that Jesus is calling us to. It's only when we have that ambition, it's only when we have that desire to live God's way and we trust in his forgiveness that we're truly part of his kingdom. That we truly have those blessings of a flourishing life and eternal life. And when we do that, we find actually, against what people think today, it does give you a flourishing life. This is a flourishing righteousness. It will make you happy in the long term. People often think, if I can go, I go and do my own thing and, and live life however I want, and that's what's going to make me happy. Well, it might make you happy for a bit, but usually it ends in disaster. Your life falls apart. When you seek to live God's way, you find that far from being restricted, it's wonderfully joyful. It brings real peace, real security. I was lucky enough to be, become a Christian as a child at nine years old be sent to church, to be sent to Sunday school, um, to be called by God to faith there. And I haven't lived a perfect life since then. I still sometimes get angry with people in my heart. There's other things that go wrong. But looking at it, I know that because God's helped me to live a life he calls us to on the whole, my life's been a lot better than many other people that have gone other ways and things have fallen apart. It does lead to a flourishing life. But more than that, it leads to flourishing life for eternity because God offers us eternal life. And it leads to ultimate security. Positively, Jesus says that if you follow this way, you're blessed. But he also has a warning. At the end of the sermon, he tells a parable. It's one of the most well-known parables. The parable of the wise and foolish builders. You know the story? The foolish man is like the man who builds his house upon the sand. Um, you build your house on the sand, it may look fine. Um, but when the storms come, it all falls apart. And Jesus is saying, look, if you, if you hear what I'm saying, but you don't listen to what I'm saying, if you don't really obey what I'm saying, you don't try and live the way I call you to live, if your ambition is not for righteousness, then, then life may well go for fine for a while. Things may be great. But eventually it will all fall apart. Whether in this life or ultimately in judgment. And do you see how strong Jesus is, actually, in these verses that we read? Particularly verse 22. He says, actually, anger is the real issue. And then he says some things that are all to do with anger. And we might think, well, being angry, saying bad things, that's not that bad, is it? But actually, he says the results, the consequences get worse and worse. So he says, um, I tell you, anyone who's angry with another brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Rakar is answerable to the court or Sanhedrin. And then he says... Anyone who says you fall will be in danger of the fire of hell. That seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? Jesus isn't saying that saying you fall is worse than murdering people. What he's saying is that if you don't get your heart right with God, if you don't turn to God and trust in him and follow his way, seek his forgiveness and seek to live his righteous life, then ultimately you're heading for destruction. Ultimately you are heading for hell. And Jesus warns us strongly about that because he wants us to be rescued from it. He wants us not to be like someone building a house on the sand, but building a house on a rock. Whose life will be secure no matter what happens. Whose life will be held with God no matter what. And ultimately will find eternal life, an eternal blessing, an eternal joy through Jesus. The only one who's defeated death and died for our sins.
Which way are you choosing to go? Which way will Lily choose to go? Do you want a truly flourishing life? One that's happy, not just now, but for eternity. Let's pray.